Good morning. Man, I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, I have some good news and some bad news. Uh, the bad news is everybody is sick this morning. Right? I got like a million text messages this morning. Hey, not going to make it. Hey, I'm going to the doctor. Hey, this is blowing up. Um, the good news, though, is that none of you guys are those people. So, right? So, amen. Uh, we're healthy, or at least we're trying to be, and uh, at least healthy enough to be here. But uh, I'm so excited that you guys are here this morning. I'm so excited about what's coming up this week. Anybody know what's coming up this week? Christmas. Christmas, yeah. Um, We have um, on Saturday night, next Saturday night, we're going to have a Christmas Eve gathering in this place. uh, Yeah. Yay! uh, There's four. Okay, we know who's coming. Um, So uh, maybe all the sick people. Um, (laughs) um, But man, I'm excited about it. We've done this for three years, and uh, it gets better every year. You're not going to want to miss it. so I'm just going to let you know, you probably don't want to show up for that. And it's going to be an amazing uh, moment just to set aside and be with Jesus. Um, and this year we're going to do something we don't normally do on Christmas, and we're actually going to be here. Um, Christmas, yeah. That is even more exciting to me, um, because Christmas is finally on Sunday, and uh, we're going to be here. So 10.30, we're going to be here. Uh, 10.45, you can leave. Uh, we won't be done, but you can leave. Um, but um, it's going to be good. I don't want to miss this coming week. Uh, I will say though, uh, Thursday, uh, we're not going to be here. So uh, if you are a Thursday night person, you need to find my mom or somebody else because we're apparently going to go sing to people. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's going to be fun. Even if you can't sing, you should go. Because uh, strength in numbers, right? Uh, so, uh, anyway, uh, this morning uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. If you got your Bible with you, I'm going to drink some water and hope I can get through. Most of this without coughing on you guys. Since I just announced this, everything in the world, um, I'm going to pray again really quick because uh, uh, my brain is not always in a good spot. Um, Father God, this morning, God, this morning, I just pray God, just calm my heart, um, focus on, my, on what He wants to God, this morning I would get out of the way and I would smooth out of the way. And God, you would just say whatever it is this morning you want to say. God, that we would miss a thing that you have for us this morning. God, this morning you would remind us that your story is greater than our story. And God, even though it's maybe not a story about us, we can take a part in it. God, this morning we love you and thank you. God, we just want power this morning to be This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, if you have your Bible with you. Um, I'm so excited about this message. Um, You guys probably are going to rebel in just a second, um, because this is not necessarily a Christmas message. Um, We've been kind of going through the Christmas story, kind of chronologically, actually, um, and going, starting in John chapter 1, which in my opinion is the best Christmas story, because it happened before Christmas. Uh, And then uh, we moved on to the angels' announcements of the birds, and this morning we're going to talk about what most of you guys know as the wise men. Um, I just want to throw this out there um, before we get started. (laughs) 
the wise men did not show up at Jesus' uh, birth. So if you've got the little nativity and you've got the little kings in it, you can go move them and bring them back two years from now. Um, and just set them right there uh, with two-year-old Jesus. And, <laughs> and that'll be great. Uh, but this morning, I still want to talk about this uh, in, in kind of the spirit of the moment. Uh, a few weeks ago, we started um, the series, Journey to Bethlehem. And we're kind of still going there. Um, and... Um, we started out with John chapter 1, and it starts out with this amazing uh, line. It's in the beginning was the Word. It echoes actually Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is in the beginning was God. And John, we start out in that same beginning, or maybe even more literally before the beginning. Uh, and before the beginning in Genesis, we have God. And before the beginning in John, we have the Word. And these two things uh, we find out exist together and are together and, and and really, if you read on, you figure out that this word is Jesus. But this word is so much more. And this word is literally the voice of God. Imagine that. In the beginning was the, the voice of God. And this word also is a Hebrew word that is logos, and it means the story of God. In the beginning, or before the beginning, there was this amazing thing called the story of God. And everything that you've ever experienced, everything you've ever known, everything you've ever tasted, touched, <laughs> seen, smelled, came out of this story of God. None of that stuff exists on its own. None of that stuff exists independent from the story of God. Every tree, every landscape, every ocean, every sunset, every everything you've ever experienced exists inside of the story of God. None of that stuff can exist outside of it. And we see that in Genesis chapter 1, in John chapter 1, that Jesus breathed the story of God off the page. In Genesis 1, we see that he created everything. He created the heaven and the earth, and he created land, and he created water, and he created plants and animals and fish and all that stuff. And kind of inside of that creation, at the end of that creation, he created man right down in the center of the story of God. Created people. In the story of God. It was a mistake, probably. <laughs> but he did it anyway, right? And man, man lived inside of the story of God for some period of time. It doesn't give us a whole lot of dates in between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3. It could have been 24 hours. It could have been hundreds of years. It could have been anything. I don't think it was that long because I messed up pretty quick. I assume I probably did too. <laughs> And we see in Genesis chapter 3 that man chose something else over the story of God. He chose his own story. God said, hey, the, the garden is free reign. You can do whatever you want in the garden, but you can't eat of this tree, right? You can't eat off that tree. I don't know what the fruit looked like. Um, but apparently they decided because of the influence of the enemy that it would be a good idea to not take the advice of God and to choose their own story, to write their own story, to do their own thing, to go about their own way, and they decided, hey, I'm going to try it. They had this fruit, and at that moment, man was ripped out of the story of God. God said, if you eat of that fruit, you're going to die. And he said, you're not going to die. Physically, no, they didn't die. But spiritually, they were separated from God. They had such relationships, such intimacy in that moment, and moment they chose their story over the story of God, intimacy was ripped out of their hand. They were separated from the story of God. Existing inside of the story of God, but not being a part of the story of God. God hated it. Can you imagine going to the 
garden that day, and even, even building up to that day, knowing there's going to be a day when I'm going to walk in this garden, and instead of my children running to me, they're going to run hot. That goes to the garden that they called down Adam, where you had never had to ask that question before. And Adam proceeds to say, God, I chose me over you. Chose my story over your story. Adam was spiritually dead and separated from God. There was no way he could climb back into that story. And for 4,000 years, that was the story of every man, woman, and child born on this planet. And I have no way back. We had prophecy, story after story. There's going to be a Savior. There's going to be a Messiah. There's going to be someone that comes, and, and he's going to set up the kingdom of God, and then you can come back into the story. But for 4,000 years, we just couldn't have that relationship and that intimacy with God. And I just say this morning, that's what Christmas is about. We were <coughs> separated from the story of God. But on Christmas, the author decided to get down on the pages of the book, inside of the story, because we couldn't come out. So he dove down into the place where we were so that that separation didn't have to exist anymore. And so that we had a way, an invitation back into the story of that. And that's what we've been talking about the past few weeks and this morning and Matthew 2, we're going to talk about the same thing. In Matthew chapter 2, it says, after Jesus was born. So for those of you that are skeptical, this really is after Jesus was born. Actually, it's probably a good chunk of time since Jesus has been born. Maybe even up to two years after Jesus was born. But after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Now Bethlehem, is, if you've been around church a while, is where um, Jesus was actually born at we, had a story last week where they were in Nazareth and it was in the northern kind of part of um, Galilee and now they're in Bethlehem of Judea which is the southern part uh, of, of Israel and, and if you come uh, Saturday I'll tell you how they got there um, but um, anyway they, they changed locations but Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the southern part of Israel in the days of King Herod now King Herod is um, not necessarily the greatest guy in the world but um, this story um, does exist inside of his reign. King Herod uh, is King Herod the Great, who reigned from uh, 47, I think it is, B.C. to like 3 B.C. If you're a history nerd, that's cool information for you. If not, sorry. Um, but he was a king that um, was not necessarily a, a Jewish king. He was raised as, as a Jew. His parents brought him up in the Jewish religion. Um, but he was an outsider. He was an Edomite, I think it was. Somebody that maybe had no claim to the kingdom of God, had definitely had no claim claim to the kingship. He wasn't from the line of David, but um, when the Romans invaded, he somehow became uh, their guy. And the Senate in Rome decided that King Herod was going to be the king over all of Israel, so they set him up in this kingship. Now, some of you guys are like, why do I care about that? Why does that even matter? Well, I just want you to know that this is a real story. This is not some fairy tale that somebody wrote down on a page. And God's not afraid of you to fact check him. That's why he includes real people that are historical figures. And that's why King Herod's in here. It's not maybe a story about King Herod. But it's a story that says, check me. 
My son really was born. <laughs> the Son of God really did come down. And he came down kind of in this window of time. And it says that during the days of King Herod the wise, or while King Herod was the king, wise men uh, from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem. Now these wise men is a word, magi. And what they are basically is pagan, sorcerer, astronomers. They're not kings. Some of you guys are like, no, there's a song about it. That's false. I don't know who wrote that, but he made some lies for you. Uh, they're not kings at all. They're <coughs> pagans. They don't follow the Jewish religion. I think it's like Zoroastrianism or something. I can't think of the real word or could pronounce it even if I could. <laughs> they're from a different religion. Um, they're sorcerers. They're actually known for that. Um, and they're astronomers. They're people that spent their life growing up studying the stars. So they, they probably had giant maps of the stars and they knew where this constellation was or this thing was and they knew kind of in December where it would be over the earth versus uh, January would be over the earth. There are people that made their living predicting the future basically based off what the stars would say. These are those magi. And they arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, letting us know that this wasn't a common everyday occurrence. These men didn't just come by and visit every once in a while. Jerusalem was the holy city of God. It was the capital of all uh, Israel. This is where the temple of God was. This is where the most religious people on the planet <laughs> um, worshipped their God. And in the Old Testament, it says several times, over and over and over again, you know who's not going to be around God? Sorcerers. Sure. You know what you should do? Check Exodus, I think it's chapter 22. You know what you should do with sorcerers? You should execute them. You should kill them. If you're a sorcerer, you don't want to just ride up into Jerusalem. That's what you need to know. It's not going to be a welcoming place. You're not going to have a little parade when you come up in through there because they don't like you very much. So you can imagine this wasn't something that these men would just come about and do every once in a while. This was, this was an unexpected thing because people like this weren't welcome. And they arrive unexpectedly. Expectedly in Jerusalem, and people are probably already staring at them weird, and when they get there, they're, they're saying this thing, or they have this message, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, can you imagine this message? <laughs> you, you've never heard about this new king. You've never heard Herod's having a baby. You, you, there's no information that you know that says that there should be this new king of the Jews. So these people ride into town telling the story, and you start talking. What are you talking about? I uh, didn't hear Herod was having a baby. I didn't know there was a new king, actually. I'm pretty sure Herod is still the king. I don't know where you're getting your information, sir. Uh, but Herod is the king here in Jerusalem. You probably should watch out saying stuff like that because you're a sorcerer and we don't like you anyway. And here you are spending this new message. It's not good. Have you heard there's a new king? What about you? Do you know anything about a new king? I've not heard anything about a new king. Have you heard anything about a new king? And you kind of imagine how people talk, right? You know, like if I told somebody a story this morning and by next Sunday morning, probably most of us would know that. That's how that that's how information travels. And so the whole town kind of gets in a buzz about this new this this message. These weird guys showed up and talking about some new king, like what are they talking about? You know what I mean? So they pull up into town and they start asking this question. Where is he who's been born the king of the Jews? Why do you ask? 
uh, well, we saw his star in the east, and we've come here to worship him. Oh, we were just sitting around back in Babylon. That's probably where they were from, Persia area. We were looking out the window one day, and then this just new star just popped up in the heavens. <coughs> and we were like, we better go investigate that. It's weird, right? I, I wouldn't know tonight if I walked outside and there was a new star, by the way. I would have no idea. Uh, I look up and I know like where Orion is. I can find him because he's the easy one. I can't find any of the others. Never found the Big Dipper and never found the Little Dipper. <laughs> I don't even know what the other names are because um, I've just never been able to do that. But these guys knew the star so well. It's the perfection. It's what they do. When they saw this new star, it was different for them. Stars, I don't think, anyway, just pop up all the time. But I had to think about this. What would make them think, seeing this star, automatically there's a new king in Israel? Right? What would do that? What would trigger your brain to think, oh, there's a new star. Obviously, there's a new baby and he belongs to a king. Like, I didn't know when kings had baby stars popped up. That's not common knowledge to me. I, I, did not, I was not aware of that. And then I started looking and thinking about this. These men are from Babylon. Do you remember in the Old Testament, there's this guy named Daniel? And he was carried to Babylon. He was set up as kind of their, their chief over all these Chaldeans, all these sorcerers. He was set up as the guy in charge of all those people because he was able to do this amazing thing. He could interpret dreams. And even better than that, he could interpret dreams he had never heard before. That's that's a pretty good talent right there. So they set him up as kind of the leader over all these sorcerers, all these magicians, all these people. And he he became a man of power in in Babylon because God gave him the ability to do that. And I started thinking about these are these are the same line of people, right? These are the same line of sorcerers, magicians that kind of Daniel was over inside of Babylon. But Daniel was a man who was a devout Jewish man. He was a man who followed God. So somewhere along the line, when Daniel, way back in the day, was around these men, he was telling these stories, right? Oh, I'm a Jewish man. I know we're in captivity right now. I know <laughs> this looks crazy, guys. I'm a slave, and I'm ahead of you guys. I don't know that happened. Sorry about that. Um, but one day, my God is going to send a rescue. So I don't, I don't know if we'll still be in Babylon like when all that stuff comes about, but I just want to know. Like, there is prophecy. Like, we, we've had people say, a Messiah is coming, a Savior is coming, and when he comes, man, he's going to rescue all of us from all over the world. He's going to set up this kingdom of David, this everlasting kingdom inside of Jerusalem. These people have probably written some of these things down and then come across some of these prophecies they're knowledgeable men, they're wise men. And when they see this star, something triggers them. Do you remember reading that? Do you remember reading that thing like they were writing about Daniel and there was this prophecy and there was this Messiah and then like the stars in that direction and I think I remember something about this. We've got to go investigate. We've got to check it out. See, that's crazy to me because hundreds of years before the Messiah ever was born, God set up a way that these men would be there and see the Savior. Lived in craziness, lived in 
their, their weird sorcerer lifestyle for however long, however many years, yet God had already made a plan that these people would come to see what God had planned before they ever walked onto the planet. So they get to Jerusalem and they're like, man, I don't know how you didn't see this, but there's a, that, there's a new star that was like right over here and, and, and we've heard that when, when this happens, that there's a new king and, and we're just coming to check it out. We're coming to see this, this new baby. I think it's crazy that God used people that everybody counted out to announce to the people of God that God was here, right? <clears throat> so they roll up in the city, and apparently nobody has noticed any of this stuff. And they ask this question, man, where's the same thing? We, we come here to worship. And it says in 3, when King Herod heard this, this is how you know the news travels fast in Jerusalem, a bunch of gossips. Um, when King Herod heard this, it says he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. See, there's one person in the kingdom that knows for sure a new king has not been born, right? Maybe Herod could hide it from everybody else. But there's like one person that knows for sure he doesn't have a new heir that's just walked on to the planet, and that's King Herod. Everybody else, I don't know what's going on, I'm so confused. So Herod, this is a challenge to his kingship. See, as we talked about, Herod the Great was not a Jewish man. He was a Edomite. He had no claim to the throne. He was not from the line of David. And it would be a problem if a new king from the line of David had been born because the Jewish people didn't really love Herod anyway. So he hears this, and he goes into freak-out mode because now there's a possibility that Herod's not going to be the king for very much longer. And it says when he heard this, he was deeply disturbed. So in 4, what he did was he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. And here's the crazy thing that he asked. And he asked where the Messiah would be born. Herod is the first person in the story to use this term, right? The, the Magi didn't come riding in saying, hey, there's a Savior here. They just said there's a new king. None of the people in the town were like, hey, I bet you're looking for the Savior, right? But Herod hears this, and he's, he's been raised as a Jewish man, probably by the best teachers that money could buy. He knows the law probably better than most common Jewish men and women. Like, and he hears this, and the first thing he thinks is, oh man, the Savior is here. <laughs> it seems like it would be a really great story, right? Herod, an outsider who had no claim to people of God, he notices that man, the Messiah is here, and he sets up in this expedition to go find him and they bring him back and they send him to It sounds like it's going to be a great thing. That's not what happened. But he recognizes immediately, man, this is, this is the Messiah. So he calls together like all the, all the best priests in the whole city, all the best teachers, and the whole city and the scribes, the people that sit around and write the Bible all day long. They know the scripture better than anybody else on the planet. And he calls all these people together and he says, hey, I just got a question. When the Messiah is born, where is he going to be born at? Think light bulb. A lot of you want to know that, right? <laughs> Somebody. There's a room full of very intelligent people at this moment. Why is he asking? And they answer back. Um, 
reside in, in Bethlehem of Judea. Not only am I going to tell you like the area uh, in southern Israel, but the town that's been born in Bethlehem. Uh, they told him because this is what was written in the, by the prophet. And then it gives the quote from the book of Micah, and it says, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. And so here's, here's how I know that. I'm going to give you the actual prophecy from the book of Micah because we're the smartest people about the Bible in the whole planet right now. And then they just read it out. And then verse 7, it says, Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. So after he gets his information, he leaves the room and he secretly calls together these men. And he asks this question, hey, when, when did that star appear? How long ago has that star been there? Now this is, this is a very tricky question on his part. Because who cares, right? If he's born, he's born. We can go there and we can find him. <coughs> but he's not interested in finding the Messiah so that he can set him up as king. Herod, in this moment, and I'll show you where here in just a second, is actually trying to figure out how old the Messiah is so he can eliminate the problem. If you read on just a, a little bit later, it actually talks about how um, Herod goes into eventually Bethlehem and kills every kid from two years old and younger. That's how we know that Jesus could have been up to two years old. He goes in and he has every infant slaughtered in the city. Now, Bethlehem is a small city. The, the reason this is not a historically significant like front-page news kind of thing is because at max we're talking probably 20-ish kids. But he goes into the city and every baby male child uh, under the age of two he, he has killed because Herod in this moment is not interested in going and worshiping the Messiah. Herod in this moment is concerned with preserving the kingship. Now, can I just throw this out there because I feel like this is very important information? If Herod knew enough, hearing there was a star and these men are here to know that this was the Messiah that was born, he also knew enough to know exactly what the Messiah would be. Right? Maybe he didn't get the whole like, picture of the cross, but he knew that this was the guy that was supposed to come in. He was the promise of God. He was supposed to come in and set up this new kingdom of David and liberate Israel from whatever oppressors there would ever be and set up an eternal, everlasting kingdom. He knew the promise of God, and he was willing to, for his own purposes, stamp out the very promise of God. This is the best example I can find of, I'm going to choose my story over God's story. God, for 4,000 years, had been writing a story I'm sending a Savior. I'm sending a Savior. You people just wait. It's going to be an amazing thing. He's going to come. He's going to liberate you. He's going to pull you out of captivity. And it's going to be an awesome, awesome thing. It, for 4,000 years, this had been the plan. People have been looking for this for 4,000 years. And Herod decided, man, my story is more important than God's story. So at the cost of not only me, but everybody else, I choose my story. Right? 
I don't care what happens to him or her or him or her or him or her or anybody else on this whole stinking planet because my story is the greatest story. That's Herod's mentality in this moment. So Herod calls these guys together and he says, hey, um, where'd this star appear? Now, how long ago was it? In verse 8, it says he sent them to Bethlehem. They had no idea where they were going. They were just trying to get to the star, and the star led them to Jerusalem, right? So Herod says, I, I figured it out. I asked. Here's where the new king is. The new king is in Bethlehem. Now, if the old king is telling you where the new king is, there's probably a problem, and you should red flag that. Um, but they didn't. Um, but he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said to them before they went, go and search carefully for the child. Go and spend a whole bunch of time making sure that you know for sure that this is the one, right? And when you find him, I want you to send word back to me, and, and I'm going to come and worship with you. That sounds amazing, right? Man, that's great. You got, I'm so glad you guys are here. I, I didn't realize when the child was born. Thank you for that information. Um, he's in Bethlehem. You go find him, and when you find him, send word to me. I just want to come worship him. I just want to come and worship this baby. And now it says, uh, after hearing the king, they went on their way. They left. And there it was. The star they had seen in the east. Uh, this is probably my favorite verse in the whole Bible. <laughs> you guys are like, that's done. That's a horrible verse. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? You're not getting a picture of me. They, they came to Jerusalem. Somehow in that mess, they lost the star. These guys are astronomers. It's like what they do for a living. <laughs> and they get to Jerusalem, and they're like, oh man, that star is gone. I have no idea what just happened. We better ask some of these people where the king is. And they talk to everybody. They walk out. And they walk out the door, and then just, there it is. There's the star. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know how that got there. I've totally misplaced that. I've misplaced keys. I've misplaced the wallets. I've misplaced glasses. I've never misplaced stars. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how that, they're big. I don't know how that happens. Um, but it's like it just appeared. There it is. Can I just say it's because of it? These, there's no way in the world this star was in the sky in Boston. That's what they did. God didn't operate on our natural, this makes sense kind of thing. But it's not limited in, in our understanding or ability. And when they got there, they got there because that is the exact spot that God had them to be. They could have bypassed Jerusalem, right? Went straight to Bethlehem. God could have let them. Stars are great GPS if you know what to do. He could have led them right to the house that Jesus was in in Bethlehem, but it took them first to Jerusalem. And the reason for that is God wanted the whole city to know there is a Savior. Now, I believe actually God even wanted Herod to know <coughs> there is a Savior. Because even though Herod took that information and he did horrible things with it, Herod still had the opportunity to practice. Herod could have at that moment chose, I'm going to step into the story of God, I'm going to go get this baby, and I'm going to sit him on my throne, and I'm going to die. And God gave him that opportunity. 
through people that shouldn't have ever been anywhere near God. And when that opportunity had exhausted, that popped that star right back into place. And said, let's try again, come rest, right? And he moved him down the road. And it says that the star they had seen in the east, it led them until they came and stopped, or until it came and stopped above the place where the child was, about 6.5 miles away in Bethlehem. Would that not be the like greatest GPS ever, by the way? There's a star, and just like, as you go, it goes, and then it just halts above the house that you're going to? That'd be a cool trick. And, and they're going down the road, and the star stops. I don't even know how that works. It stops in place. <coughs> Right above the house now that we find Jesus in, not a cave or a manger or a stable, but just was a carpenter and went to work and built a house. You don't move little babies all the way back to northern Israel, right? But Joseph built a house, and here we are in a house, and the star stopped above the house, the place where the child was. And it says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. I don't even know what that looks like, but it was a party. This was not, yay, we're here. Right? <laughs> they were overjoyed beyond measure. They could not contain themselves in this moment. I love this because they've not been in the house yet. They have no idea what to expect. They don't know what this king is going to look like. They don't know what this king's going to dress like. The house is probably not that impressive. I'll just kind of throw that out there. It definitely was not a palace. I don't care how good the carpenter Joseph was. There were no palaces in Bethlehem. There are still no palaces in Bethlehem. And they stroll up to probably something that looked a whole lot more like a cottage. And they cannot contain themselves. But prove now. They're overjoyed beyond measure. And it says in 11, entering the house. They were so excited they did not knock. Entering the house, <laughs> they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And it says, in falling to their knees, they worshipped him. I, I just want you to get this scene, because this is an amazing scene to me. I usually make a joke out of this here. I'm not even going to do it, because it's that amazing. These men have traveled hundreds, if not thousands of miles from Babylon to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem. They show up in Bethlehem at a little bit of house, not a palace, not anything crazy or extravagant, just a house. They go in the door and they see Mary, who's not the king, but she's a woman, and a kid, a child. Probably somewhere between one and two years old. And they're so excited at the moment, they fall down on their knees and they worship. Now, if you come hundreds, if not thousands of miles from somewhere to somewhere else, expecting a king, and you show up to a cottage and there was a child in it, You wouldn't fall down and worship if you were disappointed, right? If you felt like that's not fulfilling of your journey, you wouldn't fall down and worship, right? 
Actually, if we just brought out a little kid here, set him on the stage, I don't think anybody would fall down and worship this morning, hopefully not. But in this moment, we see these men were not disappointed at what they found in this house, right? To the point where grown men fall down on their knees and then probably to their face. And they worship this child who's probably just playing in the living room, right? Jesus is not sitting on a king surrounded or a big chair surrounded by gold. This is not some elaborate palace. This is not got servants all around in the army making anybody do it. It's just Jesus in a cottage with his mom. And these men are so overjoyed by this that they fall down on their face and worship him. Even 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 at this age, Jesus is not disappointing, right? If these men, at, at, at two years old, never never experiencing the cross, never experiencing the tomb, never knowing that Jesus sitting in heaven, right hand of the Father, can fall on their face and worship Him, we have zero excuses. I don't know what they might think. Well, what did Mary think when they busted in the door? <laughs> And fell down on their face before her kid. Dudes are weird. <laughs> <laughs> See, the truth is, worship isn't really about us at all. Amen. It's not about how I feel or what I like or any of those things. It's more about who he is. Amen. And even at two years old, Jesus is worthy of worship. And the truth is, if we're on a journey to meet him, whether it's two miles or 200 miles or 2,000 miles, when we enter into the place that he is, there should be something that says, I am fulfilled here, right? I am happy here. I'm good here. This is, this is my spot because there he is, and I'm good with being just right here. All for you. You need me all the way. His name is worthy. So in this story, we see that while everybody else was in Jerusalem, holding clothes or doing laundry or sitting in the palace, there were three men who made not a 6.5 mile journey from Jerusalem to see inside, but a much longer journey. And while everybody else thought, it's not worth my time to leave Jerusalem. Do you not think at this point in time somebody was thinking, why would he ask me that question? Why would he ask them in the side? What, what's going on here? I heard these guys asking about a new thing. You don't think some priest could put that together? You don't think some scribe who knows the Bible better than any of us probably ever will could put that together? And the difference was, they just didn't care. It took a bunch of people from a different land to get the people of God to even ask the question, is the Messiah going to come? They got it from reading some book, maybe, that Daniel had wrote. When the very people of God, who had the very word of God in their hand, were sitting around in Jerusalem, near the city, in the city of God, near the temple of God, and 
the Son of God was 6.5 miles down the road that we could get off the butt and proceed. And here these men are on their face before this little baby king. See, what I think is crazy about this story is the people that we find at the feet of Jesus, right? The people we find at the feet of Jesus aren't like King Herod and all his servants. Because King Herod was going to do his own thing. He's a very likely candidate for who should be at the feet of Jesus, but man, he would rather live out his own story. Who we find at the feet of Jesus are not the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, also likely candidates. They had the word of God in their hands and in their hearts and in their heads. They knew it better than any of us ever will. They lived it better than any of us ever will, yet they didn't care enough to make the journey. All these were likely people. All these were people of the promise. All these were people that, man, they should have been there, right? Everybody would have looked at them and been like, man, they got it together. They should be there. Man, they should be invited into the house of the Messiah. They should be near the Messiah. But none of them were anywhere to be found. So God sent people that were the least likely. When my son's born, you know, you know who I want to feel the story with? People that everybody else said can't be around. You know, you know what you're supposed to do with sorcerers? You're supposed to kill them, right? At least talk about them. At least count them out. At least push them to the side. At least get them out of Jerusalem. Well, when, when Jesus is born, I'm going to invite him into his living room. Because everybody has a spot, right? With the feet of Jesus. You see, these people. Or maybe they'll be slightly to enter the story of God. But somehow they didn't only enter the story of God, they became part of the story. They bow down to the feet and say, man, this is him. I feel fulfilled here. I feel complete here. I'm not disappointed here. This is the place. This is where I've been looking for. This is what I've been coming for. And it says they opened their treasures... And they presented him with gifts. One was gold, one was frankincense, one was myrrh. Gold is a precious metal, right? Gold is the sign of earthly kingship. What, what do they wear on their heads? Gold and frankincense, right? Uh, adorn their clothes with it, decorate their halls with it, decorate their chairs with it. Like the more gold you have, the more the, the greater king you are, right? So he pulls out this gold and now acknowledge your earthly Frankincense is an incense. Now, I don't think they had any any idea of what they were doing in this moment. These were all gifts that you would normally present a king or a deity to. They just didn't know they were good both. They bring this frankincense or this incense. What they burn in the temple for the priest for incense. They were acknowledging here, unknowingly, they were acknowledging here that Jesus is also a priest. And myrrh is, uh, it, it's, it's an ointment, or it's an anointing oil. Something that people would use to anoint bodies sometimes after death. 
And here in this moment, God's given us a picture and the gifts to Jesus when he was born, where Jesus was headed, right? Jesus is very much an earthly king, but he's also a priestly king. He also was going to be buried. He was going to die. And here in this moment, even in the story, as these men who were very unlikely came to the feet of Jesus, we see that God has already laid forth his plan of how these people can be in the story of God. Yes, this is the Messiah, this is the Savior, it's the one who's been promised, and he is going to set up this new kingdom of David. It's going to be glorious, but I also want you to know he's a priestly king. He's a king that can reunite you with God. That, that thing you've been longing for hasn't been a kingdom of David. It hasn't been prosperity. It hasn't been power. It's been peace. Your hearts are in turmoil because you were created for a relationship with God. You were supposed to be in communion and intimacy with God. I created you that way. I made you that way. We set that up in the garden and you were with me every day and you long for that now. Now that thing in your brain that tells you there's got to be something more to this when you wake up on a Monday morning, that's that longing for God. You were created for whatever job you go do every day. You are created to live in the presence of God. Eternity is written on our hearts. And here in this gift, God says eternity is a possibility for you again. And Emmanuel, God with us, is here. But I also want you to know through the murder that he's going to have to die and make that a possibility for you. Even now, look at this little baby. Nobody could imagine the cross. Nobody could imagine the tomb. Nobody definitely could have imagined the resurrection. But here in the gifts, I'm saying, yeah, my son is going to die. It'd be great if he just came to be a king, man. That'd be an amazing thing. Prosperity and peace. He'd be a really good king. That'd be a great thing. And it'd have been amazing if he came to be a priest because he could have taught you more about God. He could have seen God in him and through him. That would have been an amazing thing. But for you to get back into the story of God, for you to get back on to my page for you to get back into my story, he also has to die. Because no amount of reading this thing is going to get you back into the story of God. No amount of praying is going to get you back into the story of God. No amount of singing songs is going to get you back into the story of God. You were separated, you were killed, and for you to come back to life, my son has to die. So these men bring these gifts. And then it says they left and they returned to their own country by another route. And they wanted to they don't go back to Herod. He's got to kill my son and we've got some stuff to do first. He's going to die, but hopefully not today. Um, and they return a different way. Now I can't make a case for you that these men were saved. I, don't I can't make a case for you this morning that these men left here and, and spread the gospel around the world. I can't do that. I can, I can make up stuff, but that's not in the book, is it? But what I can say this morning is maybe not so much about the men, but about God. <clears throat> this morning we see that there was a very likely man who turned away from the story of God, but we see that there were three men who were like impossible, right? The lowest of the low, there's no way in, there's no way they're going to get there, there's no way sorcerer could ever come to know Jesus. Yet that's the people that Jesus made room for, right? 
time for. But that's the people that Jesus gave opportunity to. That's the people, I'll just kind of throw this out there, that Jesus came for. Maybe this morning you're not a sorcerer. <laughs> Maybe you are. Um, and we all are sinners. We all screwed up. We've all chosen a different plan. And we all are spiritually dead. Maybe today you have a heartbeat, but there's no purpose, right? Maybe today you got breath, but there's no purpose, right? It's not a reason you're just going through the day and going through the routine and you think, man, this is monotonous. This is crazy. This is ridiculous. There's no point in this. And I just want to say, no matter who you are or where you are, there is a point. In his name is Jesus. And no matter where you've been or what you've done, that point is inviting you to experience He's saying, you can choose your story all day long. You can leave this place and you can choose your story. You can go through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, choose your story. You can live your whole life and choose your story. But it's going to be a story that nobody wants to read. There's going to be a little stone somewhere. And the body's going to be under that. And it's going to have a beginning date and an end date. And it's going to have that dash. And that dash is all the stuff that you never did work really talking about. Because the greatest things you could ever do maybe will get you in a history book. But one day all the history books are going to dissolve and burn away. The greatest monuments you could ever build for yourself, man, they, they may be amazing. But one day this earth is going to stop in rotation and the elements are going to dissolve and so are the monuments and there's going to be no mark left by you on this planet. The pyramids are great things. They're not going to be there forever. Those kings that wrote their whole story kind of in that in that in that structure. There's going to be a day when Ramsey is not going to be worth talking about. King Herod, oh, he made it onto the page. It's not a great story on his part. There's going to be a day when nobody's going to be talking much about Herod. But there is one name. There is one name for eternity that people are going to be talking about, right? Oh, the heavens, they're, they're going to dissolve. And the earth, it's going to pass away. But, man, through eternity, there's going to be these songs about Jesus. And his story is going to roll on. When time ends, his story is going to roll on. When the day is done and there is no more darkness, his story is going to roll on. And maybe we're not going to sing songs about what Brad did. I'll just let you know, Brad can be there and sing songs about what he did. This morning, uh, did I just say the greatest thing you could ever do with your life is completely throw it into the story? You have the choice. You can build your monuments. You can etch out your little block of history. But one day it's going to be history. Or you can throw everything you got into everything you is. And if that lasts until tomorrow, or it lasts until you get in the parking, it'll be the greatest thing you've ever done. Be the most fulfilling thing you've ever done in your life. Because you were created for you.